Welcome back to Following Noah on a Stormlight Podcast. This week is episode 106, and we are talking about chapters 15, 16, 17, and 18 of Rhythm of War by Brandon Sanderson. A couple things to notice right off the bat for this episode is happy birthday, Paul and Elliot. This, uh, This podcast has turned two as of today of this going live so congratulations for that and to celebrate paul has the best sunburn that you will ever see except we're not going to show it so he has no camera for today so paul how are you um how am i i am excited to talk about stormlight and not think about the pain i am in um yeah i won't go into too many details but my shoulders are primarily not shoulder material anymore they're very burnt and uh crispy so yeah i'm i'm glad to be here though glad to be here i've been liberally applying aloe vera and we're gonna we're gonna survive elliot are you faring better I, i'm doing i'm doing fine i am not like anakin skywalker after losing out yeah. to the high ground <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah th- i think that's an accurate accurate depiction right now all right can i get two words to summarize episode 106 we'll start with elliot mine might be a little overly dramatic but we'll see i could time it a few different parts my two words are purpose and death okay purpose and death and paul do you have two words yes my two words for this episode are formation and peacekeeping all right let us use these four words and talk about a rhythm of war all right gentlemen before we kick off episode 106 properly we have a response to episode 104.1 from a podcast friend of ours. So we can watch this and we will discuss it as as after that. So let us watch this clip and then we can respond to it. Hello, Paul and Elliot. So Trevor has granted me the opportunity to participate in your podcast again. So of course I jumped at that opportunity. So I just finished watching the latest episode, and I was able to watch that early because I'm a patron, so intent. But anyway, so you guys had a really great discussion about Shalon and her truths slash oaths slash whatever that means. And I think that was a really great conversation. But one thing that I really thought about that you guys didn't bring up was that Brandon Sanderson doesn't do something once. He likes to do it a few times. He likes to show us different examples of it. So if Shalon really is or did regress on her oaths as, you know, she had oaths as a child, then regressed, then did the oaths again, would Brandon Sanderson really just show us that once? Would he introduce a mechanic like that and have only Shalon do it? I don't think so. Can you think of another example of someone regressing on their oaths and losing their powers? Anyone? 
Well, we have seen the loss of powers. Like, Kaladin, that was a big moment. Um, but I think that's different, because when he came back, he had, like, progressed, right? It wasn't right. like... I assume you can lose your Stormlight privileges at any point, even if you're fourth ideal or whatever. Like, it's an all-or-nothing thing, is my thought, my impression. But that's a good point. I like the point that it wouldn't just, like, be a one-of occasion. It is a good point, and I do think we need more... We do need another bit of evidence to support it, for sure. And I can't think of anything specific yeah kaladin's the only thing that's coming to mind but i agree that's not really the same thing do we count teft in that too i will bring up teft later but let's keep going with the ranks video here okay have you thought of it yet how about the entire plot of words of radiance for kaladin right so kaladin is really struggling with his ideals in words of radiance he has this whole plot line where moash uh, <laughs> freaking Moash, right? Moash wants to kill Elokar. He wants to assassinate Elokar. And all he wants Kaladin to do is look the other way and not report it. Kaladin's struggling with that because he knows in his heart that it is not right. When he's in prison, Syl changes significantly. She's invisible most of the time. She has a weak voice. She has a few moments where she actually has conversations with Kaladin, but most of the time isn't found anywhere. Kaladin tries to reach for Stormlight at one point, and it resists him. And finally, he's able to get it, but it took a lot of effort. And he's in this super dark state where he just, he, he finally, he basically comes to the conclusion, Elokar needs to die, Dalinar would be a better king. I'm going to let that happen. I'm going to let Moash do that. What's the first thing he does when he gets out of prison? He gives Moash his shards. He gives Moash plate and blade. He knows that Moash wants to kill Elokar. If this isn't a sign that he's now on Moash's side there, I don't know what else is. And then, of course, the whole thing with the chasm happens, and the Stormfather says, you killed her, right? And whether or not he was lying, we don't know. But what we do know is Kaladin had no powers at all in the chasm. And for the rest of the book, until he says the third ideal, and then everything comes back. So. I think this is a perfect example, even better than what we're seeing with Shallan. Shallan's really confusing, but this is a perfect example of you say an oath and then you go against that oath, you lose what that oath granted you. And it's very dangerous for the Spren. Um, we don't know, like, what would have happened if Kaladin hadn't said that third ideal? If Kaladin didn't say that third ideal and he continued down that dark path and he joined Moash and, and everyone and, in, in, you know, assassinating people and and trying to bend the world to their will and you know what would have happened to sill right if there's a longer and longer time we don't know we don't know but what we do know is shallan had years of that where she repressed her memories so there's one thing that i do want to point out it's in Words of Radiance. And when I say it's in Words of Radiance, I mean it's in the in-world book Words of Radiance and also, of course, the one we read. If you remember, Words of Radiance has a whole set of epigraphs that are quotes from the in-world world Words of Radiance. This is chapter 57. Malchin was stymied 
for though he was inferior to none in the arts of war, he was not suitable for the light weavers. He wished for his oaths to be elementary and straightforward, and yet their spren were liberal, as to our comprehension, in definitions pertaining to this matter. The process included speaking truths as an approach to a threshold of self-awareness that Malchin could never attain. A threshold of self-awareness. The truths aren't about telling the spren things that are true. The truths are personal. They're about self-awareness. Would you describe Shalon as self-aware? <laughs> I wouldn't. But whenever she progresses, I'm terrified. I killed my father. I killed my mother. That's self-awareness. That's accepting things that she was progress that was she was repressing, sorry, and that progressed her. What happens if she represses them again? Well, I would assume she'd regress because she's now less self-aware. So being a light weaver, in order to get to that highest ideal, whatever, whatever that is, you better be really self-aware and accept yourself and accept your past, accept your decisions, accept what happened to you. And Shalon is, is not, is not there. Not, not at least like, I don't think so. So. She has a ways to go if she's going to ever get there. And so you get, you've already said she's struggling with stuff in this book. Like, you thought I killed my mother was the worst thing that happened to her? Well, you, just as Elliot's saying, like, she seems to be struggling with something new here, something even deeper. So what, what would that be? I mean, I'm not going to spoil it for you, <laughs> um, whether or not we get that. But she's definitely struggling with something deeper. And it's about, you know becoming more self-aware and so what is the opposite of self-awareness it's repression it's becoming less aware of yourself and splitting yourself into multiple personalities right who even who who is shalon is shalon the shalon we see even the real shalon right that's what she's struggling with who is veil who is radiant right so with all of that i think that that at least helps explain what's going on mechanically and how we can think about this uh, moving forward through Rhythm of War and, and beyond with Shalon's plotline is that she is struggling with self-awareness and with self-awareness you can take a step forward, you can take two steps back. Uh, and as you do that, that bond with the cryptic is gonna is gonna get bigger and smaller. And I think that's what we're seeing with Shalon all the time. At any given moment, she could be moving forward and backward in her bond, just as Kaladin did during Words of Radiance. So food for thought. I'd, I'd love it if this spawned more conversation between you guys. And uh, I love the podcast. And thanks for having me on again. Thank you, Ranks. My favorite line in that whole thing is, who is, who is Shalon? Do we even know? Who is, who is Shalon? That made me, made me chuckle first time I watched it. That's a really good question. That, mm -hmm. that may be the most difficult question out of all of them so far. So do you guys remember at the end of Oathbringer in the, in the battle, the Battle of Thalen Fields, the real Shalon kind of uh, drops all of her illusions and the real Shalon is actually radiant in her 
armor. Do you guys remember that? Yes. And I remember being frustrated about it, but yes. Right. So another takeaway here is she could have said a fourth ideal there and been like in actual shard plate, or it could just be a light weaving. We still really don't know, but this whole idea of progressing and regressing and you know which ideal are you on today type of thing for for the light weavers is i don't know really frustrating to me but what do you guys think i love that ranks is is weighing in here thank you so much for for jumping on here and, and throwing your thoughts in the ring i like i like this line of thought it seems to make sense it seems to fit with shalon and it's it's causing me to rethink some things you know we kind of had a light bulb moment in that episode <clears throat> where we realized maybe Shalon has been further than this before and has gone back. So this is a cool line of thought. I'm not sure ranks you, you know more about this world that, than I do. So I, I probably should trust you, but I'm not quite sure I'm fully on board with the, the Kaladin is doing the same thing in words of radiance. It, I think it, that is a good case to look at because it, it, it gives us a chance to compare a maybe similar event but kaladin's to me i've only read it once and it's been a while or i remember it being more of like an on off switch as opposed to a you took a step backwards it seemed like you you violated your oath you violated your ideal therefore i'm going to take away these privileges until you get back on board with it i'm gonna i'm gonna completely remove this you go back to ground zero and then when he says his third ideal, he jumps kind of right back in where he was at. It was kind of a flip the switch back on and continue on where I was at. It doesn't feel like he necessarily was kind of traveling backwards on the path. And maybe that's a nuance and it could still be the same thing. I think it still might be, but it feels a little different to me. I don't know if Paul, if you have any thoughts on that I, I do agree it feels different. The main thing I was thinking about is it still is less rigid with the light weavers because we uh, it was an excellent point uh, like to point out the like that it it's a kind of a journey of self awareness and like knowing your past and accepting it and knowing who you are and all that stuff. Um, but that's still just, as far as I know about the other orders, this is still totally different from the rest. Kaladin has his oaths that he says, and if he's not keeping that, he can lose that level, right? Right. Um, but this is like, can you ever, like, do you, I, I'm over here, like, do you ever fully know yourself? Is there, like, a threshold cutoff? Is there effectively, like, a fifth ideal that it's, like, if you understand this much about yourself you get it like you cap or is it like you can always kind of grow in power in this like it feels more ambiguous to me and that's kind of my biggest thought right now um i'm not gonna derail us but i have to mention it um i'm also i've been thinking in the back of my mind this whole time about like hoid i feel like he would just hop so quick through the quote like ideals Either yeah. that, I mean, I don't know about his past, but he's got lots of it. And I imagine that he um, has a good grip on himself and stuff. So I feel like he would be really powerful right away. I just thought of this as you bring him up. 
Yes, we saw him bond. Spoiler. Sorry. At the end mm -hmm. of Oathbringer. That's his friend's name. We'll we'll find that out very shortly here. You already spoiled this for us before, I believe. Yeah. So it's your second time spoiling the same thing. <laughs> it, it was in the Secret we Project, did. though, and not many people watched the Secret Project episode. Oh, so gotcha. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll likely have to censor that. Okay. Um. Anyway. Uh. What was I saying? Oh. Which actually I want to bring up something that Zyle says in this episode. Mm -hmm. I'll spoil this for later, but do you guys remember Zyle saying in chapter 15 her removing my memories did you guys catch that yeah, definitely yes so he's referring to type 2 invested entities which he mm -hmm. doesn't quite lump hoid in with kaladin asked that question like so is hoid that mm -hmm. too and hoid and xyle's like no hoid's his own thing and so hoid may not remember as much as you think he does um, being on Roshar. Just let I'll throw that out there as a mechanic of getting onto Roshar may include her removing your memories. Quote unquote. And that might tie into Lightweaver ideals. I'll just I'll just that that's what ju uh, jumped into my mind when you brought up Hoid. I also would want to throw out like I wouldn't be surprised to learn that Hoyd is a fifth ideal lightweaver already. Right. Like yeah. in, in the last year, mm -hmm. he, he did exactly what you're saying. He, he rocketed right up through the top. He's got however many millennia of years behind him. He knows himself really well. Boom. And he's kind of just sandbagging. I mean, I feel like he's been yeah. sandbagging this whole series, <laughs> right? right? He knows way more than everyone else. He's got powers that no one else has. He has an agenda he has a motive that's much, much bigger picture than anybody else. At least that's kind of the implication we're getting. And so if he would be, you know, sitting over there in the corner with all the Lightweaver powers and not really using them, wouldn't surprise me a bit. I, I think it's safe to say that, Elliot, because I feel like we've seen that with Zyle. Um, with Zyle and uh, Kaladin kind of spar, and Zyle just kind of uses like a scarf and just kind of wraps Kaladin up right quick. It, it was kind of funny, first of all. And second of all, like, Zyle did that, and, like, we knew Zyle was, like, a good sword fighter or whatever, but, like, Kaladin is kind of one of the best of the best that we have to to point out in, in our world here. Um, and then Zyle is like, yeah, no, Hoyt's, like, his own thing. Like, they're still not really comparable, but I feel like we've seen... Zyle not really like even try, you know, and and so then he's looking up to Hoyd. So I I agree. That's just a bit of perspective, I guess. I need to I I do need to add this, even though we said we wouldn't derail this. Um, <laughs> the man, do you guys remember in Shalon's flashbacks, Hoyd light weaving? Do you guys remember this? Do you remember him light weaving for the Wander Sale? Do you remember him light weaving for the people yeah. in Kolinar? There's something going on. I don't. It. You may not be able to call it light weaving, but I'm about to words abandon it for you here in a second. So you could go down the rabbit trail of, well, Hoyt is light weaving way back in the day, kind of like Shalon is, 
and then he progresses into the first ideal like before his sprint you know whatever you could go down that same route with hoyd of where is he on ideals here but he brandon sanderson's been asked about this before rhythm of war came out and he said light weaving surge binding was based off of a magic system that came from where hoyd comes from so hoyd had it before the knight's radiant light weavers were uh, the planet's called yolin mm. and that's where drag yes exactly that's where dragon steel is going to be taking place whenever that's published but light weaving is not original to roshar and hoyd has it not based off of roshar magic Gotcha. I'm following. Okay. Anything else about Ranks video? If if you guys, anyone who's listening, want to chime in like Ranks did, we are approaching the position of the podcast where we can just theorize back and forth because we're we're approaching current uh, stormlight. So if you guys are listening and want to do the same thing Ranks did, the best way to do that is to join the Discord and. Let me know if you want to submit something. So I really appreciate that ranks can let me know if you guys want to do that in the future. Yeah, I, I honestly didn't know we were doing that whenever I sat down here. And it's like a honestly a super fun, pleasant surprise and really cool to hear. Um, to hear your thoughts and, and bounce off of that as well. Yeah, that was fantastic and very well formulated thoughts as always yeah. ranks. Yeah. He's setting the bar high, so it's probably yes. kind of intimidating for anyone else to try and jump in because they're like, "Dang, I know I couldn't like hop in like he has." So even if it's a thirty-second question, if you want to, we want to record mm-hmm. that. Just let me know, and we can involve that too. It doesn't have to be as yeah. well thought out as ranks is. Shall we talk about words? Do we need to go all the way back to that, or should we just talk about well, chapter fifteen? Give me, give me ten seconds of what your words mean, uh, Paul. Yeah, I can talk about my my words briefly. So first one is kind of surface value, I guess, formation. Um, I'm kind of doing that in reference to Kaladin here, who's meeting with Zyle because he's kind of trying to just figure out what am I going to do next? And I thought about having, I didn't know if it was actually a word or not, like reformation, not reformation, because it's different, isn't it? I don't actually know. It may be the same thing. I, I overthought it, so I chose formation. And I envision that Kaladin is just kind of trying to pick up the pieces, figure out what to do next, and stepping forward. Um, my other word, peacekeeping, is in reference to our heralds and a lot of the conversations that they have with that. There are heralds and Zeth somewhat as well. Um, our heralds, they're a little psycho, but we I still love them. And... Uh, we see from Ash kind of sharing what she can, what she knows, all this stuff. And she's kind of being interrogated. But I kind of just got the sense that they didn't really want to be bothered and they don't want people to be bothered and they just want peace. And I feel yeah. like that was like their big motive was peacekeeping. They were like wanting to answer what they could because they want to keep peace with them. But they also, I don't know, that there was just a lot and. If anyone watching is very familiar with the Enneagram, I got really big nine feelings from from our uh, heralds there that they just really wanted to not have conflict um, 
and kind of slide through. So yeah, they have they have done their fair share of conflict over the last yeah you know, five thousand plus years. Yeah, they've had enough of it. So all right, Elliot, your two words. Just real quickly, purpose and death. Purpose was for Kaladin as he's kind of trying to find his purpose now that he's no longer going to be a soldier. And so he goes and has a conversation with Zyle, which we're going to talk about some super cool stuff there. Liren is also trying to find his purpose yes. and struggling with, with that a little bit. And then death. Death, I honestly just picked it because of the conversation with Zyle and learning that he and Zeth, and we, we kind of maybe knew this already, but he puts it in very clear terms. They died and their souls reattached themselves to their bodies. And he gives it a title. He calls it a type two invested entity, which yes. sounds very scientific and it was cool, but I, I don't know getting the very kind of in black and white, all of these people are dead or did die was, I don't know that caught me off guard a little bit. Does it give you better definition for what happened at the end of Words of Radiance with Zeth? Yes, it, it absolutely does. For someone to say very that? clearly... Did you connect those dots? Yes, that th this is what happened to Zeth. He died, and a powerful being reattached his soul back to his body, and he's kind of this investiture-powered being now. Yeah, cleared up a lot of that. Yes, yeah, so if you die in the Cosmere and you are invested at the time, your investiture kind of hangs around for a bit. And if somebody externally comes on, that they can reattach you to something physical. If they're, if they're nice, it's your original body. If they're not nice, it could be a rock. Um, a stick? Yes, a stick. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, so yeah, there's some mechanics there of the cognitive realm and dying and investiture. So, okay, chapter 15. We've talked about it some already, but Kaladin has been relieved of command, and Scar and Sigzil are promoted to company lord, or Sigzil's promoted to company lord, and Scar's kind of the second and doing all of the mundane tasks that Kaladin also had before him and he had a I think this is actually in chapter 18 that this is mentioned but Kaladin wanted Teft to be the company lord and Teft basically says no absolutely not I'm not reliable enough for that don't you dare give this to me and so he gives it to Sigzel and, and Scar so he, Kaladin is officially Relieved of responsibility of the Windrunners, wanders around Eurythiru for this chapter with a couple different uh, uh, agendas on his mind. What did you guys think of this chapter? I I had to pause as I kind of was processing this, and and this is actually cool that this is falling on basically our our two year anniversary of the podcast. When I when I read this, that Sigzil and Scar and you know kind of Teft. I have not been elevated to this type of position where they are running, they are in charge of an entire order of Knights Radiant. Tell that to the Elliot who is halfway through Way of Kings 
way back, way back when, when we saw these guys, you know, struggling to carry a bridge, struggling to find the motivation to even carry on another day, to not throw themselves in the chasm and and end it all. How far have these guys come? It is incredible how far these guys have come. This, I had to pause and kind of let it soak in because that is, that's big. It is. And thinking, I won't go too far on this, but just thinking about some of the major things that have had to happen for them to get here. Like in the first book, Dalinar giving up Oathbringer, his sword, uh, his, his shard blade, like to free them. And then like, not just that, but all the like dynamic between Kaladin and Dalinar that we've seen that have gotten him to this place and just like everything discovering your um, uh, there's just so much and and yeah it, it's it's really cool to see that on on our on our second birthday that's so fun yeah he goes and talks to relaine which elliot you mentioned this a couple episodes ago when we talked about this that kaladin is all excited that yumfa the spren who has just had his radiant die uh yumfa has agreed to give Relaine a chance and try to bond with Relaine. So Kaladin's all excited. He goes over to Relaine and says, Hey, I think I found you a sprint. And Relaine's really excited about it. And then he goes on to explain, Yeah, I forced this sprint to bond with you. Isn't that awesome? And Relaine says, mm, No, it's it's not. You should not have done that. I appreciate what you're trying to do, but I'm not going to make a sprint do that. I want a sprint to bond me for the honor I have and be able to look past the Parshendi forms that I that I am. So what 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 were you guys thought on that forced Nile bond that Kaladin was trying to do? So it it seemed kind of on par for Kaladin. I I was equally surprised and not surprised about this because I was surprised that whenever Kaladin was explaining it that he wouldn't see why he what he was doing was wrong. Right. He was like, oh, like, Relaine, you should be so glad. I ordered this spread that he now has to bond with you. Right. Or basically he's in big trouble. And he agreed to it, you know? And <laughs> and so Relaine's supposed to be like, yay, my spread. But, like, it's it just defeats the whole purpose of, like, how it's supposed to be and stuff. And in Kaladin's head, he's like, I know when a spread basically gets to know... Relaine, that it like it will work out like Relaine is honorable um and so i think in his head he was like oh no i just need to get a sprint to do it and it'll all work out but um but journey before destination am i right you are you're absolutely right and yeah i'm I'm not surprised at all by Relaine's response here because as soon as kaladin had that conversation with Yun for the spread, it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I was like, wait, Kaladin, you have this special relationship with Syl. Like that's probably the the poster child for how it's supposed to go, I think. I mean, they, they've had their bumps, they've had their their arguments. He his oath and, and killed her at one point. But the like the level of intimacy and honesty and I don't know. Mutually it's beneficial. Like yeah. Yeah. That they, they have a, a good friendship. They have a partnership where they're they're building each other up. They're working together to, you know, take care of each other. 
you can't just force that. You can't just tell someone, hey, you need to go be in this person's head all the time, a part of their deepest thoughts, you know, their, their one and only voice on the shoulder kind of thing. You can't force that. It doesn't even make sense. So for Kaladin to even think that was an option, that's odd. Y'all are all grown up and maintaining mature stormlight conversations all by yourselves. <laughs> I'm so happy. I don't have to facilitate every every point of it. Y'all are thinking exactly what I'm thinking. We're we're on even ground. It's awesome. Wow. Do he we want to talk? So well. Do you want to talk about the the music and the the light of the of the plants real quick before we move on to Zile? Did Did you guys catch this? Did you think it was interesting or is it boring? I thought it was interesting. I thought this was, I, I'm fascinated by the mechanics of, especially your theory, of how this thing is supposed to work. How is this place supposed to support thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people and growing food's a big part of that, that they're struggling with, right? And they're trying to figure this out. So Relaine has helped them discover this grow food by stormlight, but it also requires a song, which I was trying to actually think about this and figure it out kind of scientifically. And I couldn't quite get there because the scene that's described is they're growing their their rock buds, right? They shine their their grow lamp on it with their the you know, powered by the the, the Gemheart stormlight. Yep. But that alone's not enough. You have to sing, and they they talk about they specifically see the life spren start to appear, and the life spren start to glow like more than they normally would. And Kaladin wonders, like, oh, is that powered by the the stormlight? That's kind of cool. This takes us back to the conversation we've touched on many, many times. Are the lifespan attracted to the growing or are the lifespan causing the growing? Because the answer to that question feeds into my, okay, well, how does the song play into this? Because from their perspective, or from, I'm sure the way Relaine would probably explain it, is you have to sing a song to attract the lifespan to help the plants grow. Right. But we've kind of landed on the explanation of that's not really how it works. Yep. That spren are drawn to the thing. They don't cause the thing. Rot spren do not kill you. They're drawn to your infected wound. Correct. So if that's true, the song is not actually for the purpose of attracting the spren. The song itself is somehow causing the growing in conjunction with the stormlight and the life spren are just kind of coming and having a party along with all of that. So all that to say, I'm very intrigued by this and I don't know that I can fully explain it. Any thoughts, Paul, before I talk about that? Uh, I always love story aspects involving like music and the growth of nature. I personally always think of Narnia uh, and like the creation of the world depicted in that. Uh, And also Middle Earth as well. Tolkien, like the creation of the world is through music. And I think that may be my favorite imagery of anything ever, ever. Like it's just so cool. Um, but I didn't, I didn't think too much about the mechanics of this. I thought it was neat, but I wasn't like, wow, I really want to read and understand every little intricate thing about it. I kind of took it in passing. Sure. I think this is how I take it. And if we actually know the, if we, if we understand the answer to this by the end of the book i've forgotten it so these are my genuine thoughts i've always tied the rhythms that the parchment the singers here 
uh, to cultivation. Um, the third shard on Roshar. And so combining the auto, you have to play in rhythm with this rhythm that Relaine is t- tuning to. And that helps the, the plant. So, uh, so Relaine is there, you know, conducting music and keeping them on, on pace with the, the rhythm of Roshar uh, that he can hear. And combining cultivation's power, that audible sound of power, with honor's stormlight, combining both honor and cultivation can combine into something that can let the because it, it drains the sphere, right? Doesn't it? Doesn't it drain I think the so. at least somewhat. Right. So using both cultivation and honor's power at the same time can foster this uh this plant so that's what the the listeners back in the way of kings and words of radiance were that's why they were contesting gem hearts is because they needed the the light um to to feed their farms yeah that was really cool as we move on i i thought of one other thing very very like just pointing out a detail of seeing how the stormlight and the rhythms work together gets me really excited. It feels like some foreshadowing maybe for what we might be able to see with Venley. Yeah. Um, that's like kind of a sneak peek little glimpse of like, Oh, look what you can do. If you could somehow incorporate both, you know? And so now I'm really excited. Um, I'm excited to see our will shaper, but also I'm like, what if we're not even really seeing a will shaper anymore? What if she's like a will shaper plus like a, a bunch of extra, almost like what we saw with the corrupted spren, but different, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm excited by that. Now that you say it too, because if you think about it, Venley's even could be maybe a step further than this. Trevor, I, I like your thoughts here about combining honor and cultivation. That, that makes a lot of sense. Venley might take it a step further and take the stormlight of honor, the rhythms of cultivation, and her void spren, the spren of odium that she has. Mm. She could potentially be pulling on the power of three shards in one person. What yeah. what what can she do with that? Oh man, it's a great question. All right, I'm we'll sure we'll find out in the next next chapter, right? Yeah, yeah, next chapter. Totally. Next reading, if not next chapter. Yeah. All right. Kaladin and Zyle. They have a spar, and Zyle's on laundry duty. And (laughs) they are fighting in and amongst the sheets. And Zyle quite openly uses breaths and command on (laughs) Kaladin as they're sparring. And halfway through this spar, Kaladin's like, Wait a second. I'm You're gonna cheating. I'm gonna lose this. How are how is this gonna how is this happening? I'm losing. And so that kind of excites him like, wait, I still have stuff to learn from other people. I can't just overpower everybody. So, so what do you guys think of this? So to to the friends that I have, I have a couple friends right now who are starting to read Stormlight. And honestly, I I told I told one or two of them I was like you don't need to read Warbreaker. Like you, you can read Warbreaker. Like I, you know, 
if you're not crazy about it, like don't you don't have to. But then I read this and I was like, actually, I think you need to read Warbreaker. Yeah. Um, because like it's so overt. Like if if I hadn't read Warbreaker, I would be so baffled right now. I'd be like, what the, what surge binding is this? Is this next level lashings? Is this like fifth ideal lashings or something? But I yeah. I thought this scene was awesome with the two of them. It was so cool. You, you can, th- this is one you can em- envision in your mind, like crystal clear. You can see them on the, the tower, you know, on the edge with the, the laundry fluttering in the wind and them fighting and dancing in and out of the, the laundry on the line. I, it was super cool. And then, yeah, there's little nuggets you pick up, right? Because you've read Warbreaker, things like after he uses the, the scarfs, their scarves, 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 words that they're drained of color, right? That's something you wouldn't even, I'd probably go right past that without even a second thought if I had, you know, not read Warbreaker. And, and, but, but you see that and you're like, oh, command breaths. I remember that. He, we'll talk about it. Go ahead. Paul. Um, I was going to say, I'll bring this back up again, but I want to put a pin in it so that I, I'm held accountable for bringing it back up. Um, it talks about the light right there with the scarves, right? We also saw a bunch of light things which are interesting with our dark sphere whenever we get there in our next episode. But yeah, I wanted no, to that's mention next that. chapter. We'll get there in a second. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there soon. Kaladin and Zyle finally have a an actual conversation about the Cosmere. Zyle has this is how it works. This is how you that these are the mechanics that happened that that's how i got here so he gave he gave kaladin a cosmere 101 and what did you guys what did you guys pick up from it okay so i i keyed into this you know hyper focus as soon as he starts talking about things like invested entities like okay dump dump the knowledge on me let's let's go and I liked the terms that he tried to explain it in because it started to make sense. He he says, I'm a type two invested entity. And then he talks about how that's different but similar to Sill. And so the Spren on Roshar, he, he talks about how he had to reframe his his knowledge when he discovered the Spren on Roshar. They are, and I'm going to try and use some of my, my Cosmere knowledge to explain this. And Trevor, you can correct me if I say anything wrong. Sure. The spread on Roshar are basically pure investiture brought to life ish. That they're they're in they're a sapient living chunk of investiture. Zyle explains that that's not quite what he is, but he's not a human either. He is now because he's died and been reattached to his body. Because he was invested at the time of his death, we, we talked about this a, a little bit ago, he's now sort of like that. He's maybe similar, more similar to a spren than he is a human in that he is an invested soul reattached to a body. It's almost like he's reanimated. He, he calls himself walking dead. And so he's kind of like a halfway in between talking, moving, investiture, and human. Did I get all that right? 
Yep. Yes. Yeah, so he specifically mentions like he doesn't age and stuff anymore. Like he's right time wise. Like he's not really aff- affected anymore. He can still die. They talked about it. Like there's ways to effectively kill a type two invested entity or whatever the term was. Don't get too attached to that term. I think that's just Zyle's way of yes defining himself. I don't yes. Think everyone yeah. else says that. That's good to know. And he also explains that that's what the fused are too. So if mm-hmm. and the fused were talking about the same thing that if the humans can figure out how to unbind our souls from our from our body like they did to Yezrian, then that's that's the key to ending the war. Is if you can, um, if you can stop the fused from re- re- rebirthing themselves, then you can win the war. Was the term they used like disrupt the soul? Yeah, I don't remember what they used. You weren't just like severing or separating the soul. It was like disrupting it or something like that. I think I remember the term Zyle uses is unravel. Oh, but there we. I almost what I'm thinking of. I'm wondering if he uses that term just because it has similarities to like the fabric, you know, type breaths kind of stuff that he does. So maybe it means more to him than others. I also thought of. Nightblood, as he starts to explain that, it seemed like the the heavy implication there was that he's talking about, hey, you have to unravel these souls. You can't just separate them from their body. He doesn't say this, but I kind of filled in the blank with, oh, by the way, that sword that Zeth has, yeah, that thing unravels people. But I want to talk about this real quick. What? Where is our Zyle Nightblood scene? Hello? For real. They're both sitting in the tower together. You know, they're, you know, a couple hundred feet away from each other. If not, you know, Zeth is high up in the tower in a cell, which we'll talk about here in a second. But Nightblood and Vasher are right next to each other, and we haven't gotten any content. Come on, where's our, where's our do you want to destroy evil today scene with Vasher? I I assume we'll have that. I ass- or at least I at least nods at it. It could potentially be very entertaining, right? I can imagine a few different ways that might go. And yeah, it might be might be humorous. Any other dumps? So in this category that we can now put Zeth and Zyle, we can also put, we mentioned it, the Fused, but also the Heralds, Yep, he says, are also these beings, which... This helps to kind of fill in some pieces of, you know, how are they immortal? How do they keep going back? They're this type of entity where they are a soul that just needs a body to attach to. There's some other questions there with the heralds, though, of like, why, what are the mechanics behind, you know, why does their soul go back to the other planet Braze when they die instead of just floating around and needing to get reattached right there still on Roshar? So still some questions to answer, but I think we're, we're piecing together a little bit more about what our heralds are, at least. We'll talk more about the Oath Pact in a second here with a, yeah. a Navani chapter. I kind of figured that was like an Oath Pact thing. That was like maybe why their souls went to Braze, but don't right. know. And then one little tiny nugget that we is not really even worth talking about, but we can just note it. He drops another name for Hoyd. He's like, oh yeah, Hoyd. I know him by dust. Which, 
was odd. I was trying to rack my brains like, have we seen that name before? And I couldn't think of it. But I was also trying to think when we were in Warbreaker, we saw Hoyd. He did by introduce the him... name of Hoyd. Yep, he did introduce himself as Hoyd in Warbreaker to yeah. to Siri and Sabron at least. Right. So, hmm, interesting. I'm now going to keep out for that. Na- I'm going to watch out for that name, Dust, and see if it ever comes up again. That might be interesting. Uh, and then the last thing that I noted in this whole conversation, Trevor, you already brought this up already, is the like last sentence of the chapter, and then the chapter ends. It's, it's a total cliffhanger. He's like, oh, yeah, and by the way, those darn memories, she removed them, or they were removed by her. End of scene. Like, wait, whoa, 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 hold, hold, hold on. Her? Who, who are we talking about here? Right when you feel like you're finally getting answers and Kaladin finally is getting answers, he's like, yeah, and she removed my memories. And Kaladin asks, like, who? And then he doesn't, fails to clarify. Moving on. Like, oh, of course, there's always something that Sanderson asked to, you know, dangle in front of us. And yes, Trevor, your maybe implication earlier is kind of along the lines of where my brain was going to. Cultivation is the kind of biggest unknown her that we kind of know is out there. So, yeah, but but why? Like, even if it is cultivation, why is Zyle in some sort of situation where cultivation is removing his memories? And do you, do you also, guys remember that cultivation has night blood at the time that Dalinar visits her. Yes, because that's like one of the things she's like, oh, you could have this sword or whatever or, that like... Sorry, the Night Watcher. Like that. The Night Watcher yes, has... Yes. Not not cultivation. The Night Watcher has night blood. Yes. And it eventually finds its way, way to nail between those two times, so who knows how that happens. Right. Anything yeah, else maybe for this? That, that's actually an interesting little bit of breadcrumb trail there that we could maybe use to try and piece together the the path of Nightblood there for sure. My only other thing I thought about in this was who else do we know struggles with memory loss? Shalon does. So if there's a her out there dealing with removing of memories, is that her somehow tied into Shalon somehow? Maybe. All right, Paul. Chapter 16, we find Zeth. He's in a prison cell. And I want to talk about this real quick because Basie, he's someone in our Discord. He's doing a read a first-time read-along with you guys at the same time. He, he posted in his thread that he was really frustrated that Zeth is in a cell and Teravangian is walking around free because Teravangian is responsible for all of Zeth's deaths or Zeth's kills, and Zeth, they know the full the full relationship there. So why is Zeth locked up and, and Teravancian is still trusted or trusted, quote unquote. We'll get there in a second, uh, by the by the coalition. What what are your thoughts on this, Paul? Don't we well I, I have several, but first addressing Basie's concern, uh don't we like isn't that kind of answered in the chapters here? I don't know if it's this chapter or the next or what, but doesn't Dalinar say he like 
he doesn't trust Teravangian anymore. He um, he does not. But right. he kind of he kind of has to be sort of correct and proper with him still. He can't just like throw him in a jail cell, because um, it'd be really bad for image and all this stuff and whatnot. That that's kind of annoying, but like I get and stuff. So I kind of assume that's why. Um, and yeah, in, in for a lot of our characters here, it's probably much more personal because one they saw this man kill Gavilar. A right. very personal person to them. Two, they know how absurdly dangerous and powerful Zeth is. So Even before Nightblood. Yeah, yeah. There's just a lot of things that it's like, let's just let's just I kind of imagine they're just kind of playing it safe right now. They're like, you did help us out here at the end. Like I, I was a little surprised to see he was in a jail cell. Um but I then was like, I mean, that makes sense. Like he, <laughs> he hasn't had the the most kind-hearted or uh, easy to work with reputation. You know, he's kind of just flown around and killed people and been a, the most dangerous like person around. So if they get the chance to confine him, at least for the opportunity of asking some questions and straightening some things out, that makes total sense to me. Um, that is part of my peacekeeping thing as well. I never really got the sense that Zeth was even bothered. I could be wrong about that, but mm-hmm. um, listening to this, it seemed like Zeth was like, "Yeah, that's fine." Like he's like, "I'm here to serve Dalinar," so and it's commanded by Dalinar is why he's fine with it. Y- yes, right. So I view Navani as a fairly level-headed. Uh, lady, I but don't. when it when it comes to Zeth, I feel that she is fairly emotional with this with this interaction. She wants she says she wants him dead, and she wants Nightblood sunk in the ocean with uh with the thrill, which is what they ended up <laughs> doing with the thrill, which is a whole other uh, thing we can get into in a second, but. <laughs> I, I feel oh. like Navani is fairly is fairly level headed, except for when it comes to Zeth, because she's she's super angry about Gavilar's death, which was what eight years ago at this point, and she's it's been explained that the Parshendi were behind that, and then the rest of his kills were actually Teravangian, and he had his oath stone, and so as far as I'm concerned, I feel like Zeth is fairly redeemed. At this point, Navani would absolutely disagree with me, though. So, uh-huh. that's true. So, okay, putting putting my thoughts in a row here. Um, I felt similarly back in Words of Radiance whenever Shalon was going to end up with our crew. She was, like, headed to the Shattered Plains or whatever, right? I specifically, we have, remember having the discussion of, like, oh, it kind of depends on who she runs across as to, like, how that meeting goes, you know? She could run into some people and have a really bad time, run into some people and have a really good time. And I envisioned her and Navani having a really good time, and if I'm remembering this correctly, she does meet Navani, and it's not. She, like, is not received well, 
And it's kind of like a big problem. And I remember being a little frustrated with Navani. I don't even remember what the reasoning was all about. Uh, but I kind of get similar things here. I think Navani has more reason to be upset in this case, for sure, with Zeth. Um, but it does... I Yeah, it doesn't feel to me that she's been that reasonable with meeting new people. <laughs> and yeah. it it's kind of almost funny, but... Um... She does do that, and Zeth, I loved it. <laughs> how long have we've waited. Oh, I do know how long. We've waited two years to to get to hear Zeth kind of explain a little bit of what he knows about the night he killed Gavilar and the Dark Sphere and everything. Um, yeah, that was... I was very glad to finally hear it from his mouth himself um, and everything and not worry. Um, yeah, I, I will. I'm happy to talk about the dark sphere some. I don't know if y'all have other thoughts on this meeting. I'll I'll just weigh into the the dark sphere part. Yeah, Paul. It it's funny that this is coming out at our or we're recording this at our at our around our two year anniversary because it tells us exactly how long we've waited for this darn sphere to come back on screen. Day one, when we started this, we we zoned in on that. Ooh, that dark sphere, that's going to be super important. It took us darn two years before that thing showed back up. But gosh darn it, we found it. Here it is, finally, back on screen, in Navani's hand. The dark sphere is back. Paul, I, I don't know about you, but I'm relieved, actually. It was... Right. Uh... <laughs> Because this is the one that's not just a mention or a, a nod or hint at it, but this is like, and we still don't know exactly what it is entirely, but we at least know the story of Zeth having possession yep. of it and, and all that stuff. Um, and I also think it's funny because at the time that we started reading it, Trevor didn't know this even, which I think is funny. So he was just like, yeah, haha, Dark Sphere. <laughs> and then... um. Just letting us run with the ball. And he didn't even know this, I assume. You get... Yeah, you get the mention of it and the prologue. You get a one one line in the first interlude with Zeth, where he hides it under a rock somewhere. And then one line at the end of Oathbringer. Navani's saying, oh yeah, I've seen that rock like that before. And now we have our actual mention of it, more than one line. And she describes it as different than than void light. Originally, she was just like, "Oh yeah, okay, this is gonna be you know a, a dark sphere, a void light sphere." But on closer inspection of it, she notices that a it's been holding void light this entire time while it was under a rock somewhere, so it hasn't seen the everstorm, and it still has void light in it b it's warping the light around it it's it's different than than void light what are you guys' predictions or thoughts on this this was what i was going to touch on earlier it, it it describes it as like the light warping around it and where i remember seeing that imagery the most is with uh Cisebron in warbreaker like he has a billion breaths or god king whatever his title was mm -hmm. 
Um, he's like the most invested entity or something on that planet, and like light kind of like warps around him, and which gave, in my opinion, like one of the coolest imageries ever. I think that's just super dope. Um, but it brought a few things to mind. It made me think maybe this is filled with like so much investiture that it's like I don't know. It's just got some form of power bank that's just enormous to where light is going to warp around it or my thought for honestly a while now ever since we knew that these unmade could be like imprisoned in a sphere in one of these like perfectly cut gemstones or whatever like the king's drop that there's something in here right gavilar had this gem right and he was going to quote bring back the parshendi's gods Right, so that's what he was saying. Yeah. So I've had the thought of, like, what if there is, I don't know, a big bad guy in there that we don't even really know about that he was going to try to get out of there? Yeah. Could be an unmade or something. Um, yeah, that, that that was kind of my thoughts. I'm, I'm thinking down the same lines here. Because it... Yeah, Navani clearly notices and Relaine even weighs in on this that it's not void light it's it's kind of like void light but it's not so then yeah what is it it's got to be something else either an unmade that seems likely or yeah some other type of powerful fused or something like that another type of void spread maybe that's been trapped in there Elliot, you mentioned this in the live reactions for our patrons, or patrons, but you, you seemed a little peeved that they just sailed on a boat and then dropped the thrill into the ocean. <laughs> I just, I just want to bring this up. So, so this is a one-liner, right? That I'm sure we're not even actually supposed to care about. But I like, I got upset about this. So Navani is just like, oh yeah, we could drop it in the ocean like we did with the thrill. Moving on. You did what? <laughs> you spent all of that work, all that time to finally capture an unmade, this powerful being that's been affecting armies across Roshar for decades. And you think the safest place for it is the bottom of the ocean. Now, I granted, I will, I will give her this. I don't think Navani knows about Sleepless. And I might have been a little more on her side here if I didn't know about Sleepless. But as soon as she you know, says that, oh, we dropped it, we sunk it to the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, that's going to take a grand total of about 10 minutes for a sleepless to retrieve. Especially if it's yeah. glowing down there, yeah. right? Like, if it's a like, glowing red orb down there, like, ooh, what's that? I can offhand think of like three other ways that would be way better. Let, let's soul cast a rock around it and go bury it in a deep hole. That's way harder to get than just glowing at the bottom of the ocean. Unless, I suppose, maybe if, like, there's certain people that can, like, sense its presence or something like that. Maybe it's better in the ocean. Yeah, that put a guard on that thing. Put it somewhere where it's safe. Dumping it to the bottom of the ocean. Terrible idea. I want to go on record now as saying that because that is going to come back. <laughs> See, I, I forgot about the sleepless in that context. I was sitting here and I was like, you know, I don't think that's a smart idea to just throw it into the ocean, like, and just be like, all right. Now we never have to worry about it again. 
but I was like, I don't know what, what do you do with it? Like, do you just keep it in your, your gem pouch, you know, or like, <laughs> no, this is, this is what you do with it. Although I don't know if you actually can, but this is what you're supposed to do with it. You have Kaladin lash it upward for like, oh. you know, a year. Ever. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he just keeps multiplying lashings for like, you know, a week straight. And, yeah. you know, once you get to the thousandth, thousandth flashing, leave it there for a year and then pull it back and then drop it, you know, and then it, but by then it's a satellite and in orbit. And uh, yeah, you've launched it into space at that point, which, right. I don't know if that's better or worse. Just show, no, just shows up on like Nalthus, unfortunately, just like, bang. do they know about like an atmosphere or things like that? That's a great question. They do talk about barometer readings in in this chapter and how <laughs> and how a... the the tower braces for a storm. Ah, uh, yes, barometer readings. <laughs> Anything else from this chapter? Oh yes, 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 yes. We should not bunny trail on this, but I thought it was important. Zeth makes a casual comment. Another one liner. That, that we could spend a, a long time talking about. We probably shouldn't. It's going to be important later. Zeth makes a casual reference to the prophetic words of the dying from his land. We know about the prophetic words of the dying. We've seen that before. Teravangian built his whole hospital system to kill people to get those words. We know that that comes from an unmade. What I don't think we knew is that that unmade is or was at some point in Shinovar. It's obviously been out around like Alethkar and Yakovet and places like that because Teravangian's kind of been chasing it. So this is news. Isn't that Unmade's name Moloch? Moloch. Sure. Yeah. I want to say that is one of them. I don't grant you that it's probably. Yeah. That spren was at one point in Shinovar, maybe for a long time because Seth is very familiar with this. That was my one-liner nugget I'm going to hold on to. Yeah, no, that is a good point. I didn't even think about that. And it, and I'll just mention this again, that the whole cell thing that Zeth is in is completely ceremonial. And, and they say this in the chapter. If he wanted to get out, all he has to do is draw nightblood, eat, eat the cell bars away, and walk out. And, yeah, and Zeth is in there of his own free will, which is one other. It it gives it's given me mixed feelings for so long. I won't talk on this long, but like Zeth with his oath stone, I was like, "There's got to be some insane power that's like holding him to do this to kill these people and stuff." And it's like no, like he's just really loyal. Like he, right. he he sticks to whatever his like task or whatever he's following is. And it's insane. But I'm really excited because now I feel like that power is just gonna be harnessed for good through Dalinar. And that is so exciting. Yeah. Cause he is so powerful. Oh man. Maybe. Yeah, hopefully. End of chapter 16 into chapter 17, they hold a meeting of the, the state of Roshar speech. And they invite the mink here, which is the Herdazian general, which they rescued from Hearthstone. And Shalon and Dalinar summon the map. 
and that that the mink notices almost immediately that based on Dalinar's troop movements, Dalinar does not trust Teravangian. And Dalinar assumes that this is, he's being more sneaky than he is, but the mink is a battle genius. And he's like, yeah, you're covering your flank. And on your flank over here is not actually your flank. Uh, on your flank is Yaakov Ed. Why are you covering this side? And Dalinar's like, oh, darn it, you noticed. So if the mink can recognize it that fast, I mean, I don't think Teravangian assumes that Dalinar likes him anymore, but Teravangian also knows that he's on a short leash. When they summon this map, Yasna shows up to, to join the meeting, and who is with her? Hoid. Hoid. Okay. Couple things that I want to talk about here. Hoid and Yasna show up and they seem to be fairly fairly close. I mean, we've known there's some sort of relationship here before because Hoid shows up when Yasna comes through back at the end of Words of Radiance back to the physical realm. Hoid is waiting for her there. And then this they, I mean, Hoyt is just a, a basically a a parody of what he used to be of Elkar's king, the king's wit. He's you know he'll he'll insult you when he feels like it, but he's also he also is feels like he's pretty much down to business now. So what what did you guys think when when Hoyt showed up here? So I didn't think anything of it in the scene where it actually is described. It's just. Wit is walking in with Yasna. We know that they're both very interested in the grander affairs of things. I'm sure they, if Wit is willing to share, that there's lots they could talk about. And then Navani like pauses and has a thought. I, I want to read it just because I want to make sure that I'm not misinterpreting this. Here's here's what Navani is thinking. She couldn't tell if the rumors about those two were true or not, and hadn't felt comfortable asking. Strange that a mother should feel so unwilling to chat with her daughter about intimate matters, but, well, that was Yasna. I read that, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Are we talking about a relationship? Are Is, is Yasna and Wit together? You want the answer to this? Uh, uh no. I, if you're actually offering... Now, I don't I don't know the answer to this, but okay. the I, I don't remember the answer to this. The the fandom interpreted this exactly how you are, Elliot, of wait, they're in a relationship. <laughs> like that there's more to it than the greater good of the cosmere. They are in a, a romantic relationship. Well, and this could easily be like that's the rumor. Right. The, the reality is they're not. They are just kind of swapping notes over what they know about the Cosmere. But that there's rumors. People have seen them, you know, in the study late at night, you know, sort of thing. And so the rumor starts to, oh, they're they're together. So I, I'm not going to jump to any conclusions just based on this, but I can see how you would. See, I jumped to the conclusion that, that they weren't. And I was like, oh, Navani is just like kind of being silly, you know? But uh, that, that's probably what it was trying to get across and stuff. I think, <laughs> uh, 
I've shared several times on the podcast how a lot of our like love story parts I'm never like that keen on. Like it's great. I you know, love a good romance story, I guess, but for the I most guess. part I'm like let's let's get back to the the good stuff, you know, the action stuff. And uh so they they mentioned it and I was like, uh not enough like I'll wait for a Yasna perspective chapter or something like that and right. before I before I care. But for the record, you don't want uh, a Yasna perspective. Well, you're not you're not keen on those. I'm I'm not asking for it. But if it happens, <laughs> then I will know for sure what the <laughs> whether they're involved or not. Right. Um. I so my biggest thoughts on this while while I'm at it while I've got the the mic here. Um. Was how quiet Hoyd was the whole time. I thought it was kind of awesome i thought it was really funny um and they're just talking about all this and uh, i don't remember what comment is made but there's a point where wait it's almost like he's trying to like hold back laughter or like trying to just like he's like you can tell in his expression he's like kind of making fun of them but he's not saying anything and it's like the first time we see hoid be just really quiet and I may be alone in this, but when I read, I remember reading this for the first time. And for the longest time, I have wanted Sigzil and Hoyt to be in the same room because there's a history there. And I really, really want to be the fly on the wall on, when they finally have a conversation together because Sigzil does not seem very keen on meeting Hoyt again. And, you know, Hoyt's not going to forget about. Sigzil, who's an apprentice, and I really want that conversation to happen. And they're finally in the same tower, and they're not having that conversation yet. Yeah. Am I the only Am one I that really wants that? I want that too. And I'm remembering, maybe, am I remembering wrong that isn't something that's a part of that history part of why Sigzil was a bridge man, a bridge yes. runner? Yes. So yeah, there, there's. There's something there. I don't know. I, I've talked with uh, people on my first read. I talked with people about this when when I got to this section, and I seemed to be the only one that was really craving a, a Sigzel Hoyd conversation. But whenever I was reading The Way of Kings, I probably felt very strongly about it, but I've since forgot about it. Sigzel was one of my favorite characters like back then, but mm -hmm. I feel like it's just been too long and too many other big things that it has really crossed my mind. Right. So Yasna over the last year has been flipping society on its head and she intends to join the war effort in, um, uh, it like in a more masculine traditional way and she wants to you know fight and be in charge of tactics and stuff like that and she wants to free all Alethi slaves and make it illegal to have to own slaves in in Alethkar and then she's opening openly contradicting Dalinar which is also something you don't do so She's she doesn't care 
what other people think and she's just going to do what she thinks is right and she's queen so she gets to do it and she tells Eleanor I wasn't aware you were in a position to stop me so I don't care she drops uh, an interesting comment here that gives some insight into her beliefs she says that they kind of question her on this whole slavery thing so she she drops the bomb that she wants to abolish all slavery within Alfgar. And the rest of them are like, whoa, 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 that, that's good in idea, but in practice, that's going to wreck the world. And in that, so they're kind of questioning her on like, that seems out of character for you, Yasna. And she responds with her interest, her motive is to bring the most possible good for the most people. And that... That, that was enlightening to me in, in kind of getting to see inside her head a little bit. That That is a, a worldview, a philosophy, uh, generally, I believe, referred to as utilitarianism, where everything is about, yeah, the most good for the most people. It's You, you can basically break all of your decisions down to what brings the best well-being to the, the general populace. And so kind of understanding that that's the... That's the process. That's the the mindset that Yasna has helps kind of understand her quite a bit. Is that dangerous territory towards what Teravanchian would argue? That you can sacrifice the few in order to, or you can sacrifice as many as you need to, to save as many as you can. It would be Teravanchian's argument. It is dangerous territory. It is a slope that maybe not a slippery slope, but a, a treacherous slope for sure. You, you can potentially justify some things using a, a logic or a, an ethical system like that, that maybe some other people would, would say are not okay. The other loophole in a, a belief like that is a lot of things may come down to how you define good. Right. If, you're, if your motive is the most possible good for the most people, that sounds great. I think a lot of people would be like, yeah, I'm totally on board with that. Until you sit down and in, in specific instances and say, okay, who gets to decide what good is? That can get dangerous if you're not careful. But it, I, I was mainly just keying into the, okay, I'm starting to see a little bit of how Yasna's mind works here. So it was a, it was a good scene. I enjoyed it. Anything else from the scene? All right, and our final chapter. It's not a short chapter, but the only thing that is really the the big takeaway from this chapter is Kaladin has made his decision. He gives Lirin and Hasina a tour of the tower. The fourth bridge has finally arrived, and he shows them the rooms and tells them, I've bought you a bunch of surgery equipment dad and i'm going to take that room next to you and i'm going to join you i am going to become a surgeon there's a couple other things to talk about in this chapter but that's the main takeaway what you guys think of of kaladin's final decision here can i take the reins here for a second so i wanted to bring this up earlier but it, it's better to bring it up in retrospect um we started this episode or pretty early in this episode we were talking about how Honestly, Kaladin did kind of a, a poor job with Relaine. 
um, and like trying to get him a sprint. It was like a good idea. He he wants Relaine to have a sprint to to bond a sprint and and grow right. Uh, but the way he was doing it was poor, not not effective. Yeah. Um, and here, I'm really proud of Kaladin. I, I'm very proud of Kaladin. And uh, because Liren, his dad talks about how, like, are surgeons even needed? Aren't why? Isn't my life's work basically, like, obsolete now? Right. And Kaladin is actually very comforting to his dad and is like, no, like the, the edge dancers and the truth watchers that you see healing people, like, you know, they, they are out kind of near the front lines of the battlefield a lot of the times, but like, there's still countless people who need healing. Um, and, and like, you, you will, you will still have a lot of surgeon work. You're not out of business, you know? Um, it's very comforting, and also just to see him like provide like all these this super nice place um, in Yurathiru and all these nice things for his parents. I I just loved it. I thought it was beautiful, um, and, and honestly really sweet uh, from a character that we don't really see any sweet interactions with or from. So. Th this was almost the reunion scene that I thought we were going to get the first time Kaladin went back and met his parents for the first time. It, it's it's not necessarily the conversations I was expecting, but more the the general vibe I'm getting from this. This felt like the I'm home discussion. Whereas before it was always, oh goodness, Kaladin is so different. He doesn't even fit into the family anymore. This is kind of the homecoming scene yep. here, fin finally. Liren has had several choice words for Kaladin and his chosen line of work, and so for him to, for, and for Kaladin to come back and breach, breach, bridge, that that gap between them um, means so much more to to Liren than I think any of us can actually uh, comprehend. Really, that Liren has almost disowned Kaladin for his actions and for Kaladin to come back and say, I I've decided to come join you as a surgeon. Um, and I've done all this for you to help you set up like it, it's That's really cool. I do wonder going forward. I was a little bit surprised by this decision from Kaladin. Actually, it makes sense to go back to his his roots, back to his surgeon. We know that there's a big part of him that still relates to that. He's got his father. A, a lot of this is making sense. I'm just not quite sure how surgeon fits into his windrunneriness, and, and maybe it kind of does. There's a there's an element of protection involved there in being right. a surgeon or being a medic, but also kind of at the same time not a, a surgeon is more kind of reactive you, you're brought someone who has had something terrible befall them and, and you try to fix it that's not quite in line with what i have as the mental picture of windrunner in my head i i envision more of the proactive dive into the fire and save you from danger sort of mentality as as the windrunners and so i wonder if this won't quite jive with Kaladin, if this will be an almost fit, but not quite perfect. That's my fear. 
don't have anything to add. Do you guys have anything else for episode 106? Nothing here. Fun stuff. At all. This is this is a. I was really excited to talk about all these things. So. Yeah. Good stuff. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. We'll reconvene next week. On we go.